So this morning, Katya, as you come on up, I want to share with you that Katya is not here to give us an academic lesson about Christianity. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word and through the preaching, He's not giving us an academic, cognitive understanding of the world or of spirituality. He is giving us a set of instructions. So feel free to have your notebook open, but also have your task list open. And say, Holy Spirit, what are my actions, my next steps coming out of the meeting this morning? This isn't just academic. This is instructive. Let's hear from the Lord this morning. Catch it. Come on. I love it when Justin hosts the meeting because the announcement time is one of my favorite things that happens that Sunday. Um, it is such a joy to be with you all this morning and so fun to see lots of familiar faces and some new faces here too. And so I just want to add my welcome. If you're new this morning, we're so grateful that you cho chose to join us this morning and worship with us. Um, I have the joy of uh, pastoring this community, and I say this often, my job is the best job in all the world. I'm sorry, uh, it is a competition and I win. I have the best job in the world. I am so grateful for the Table Boston and um, the faith that is represented in this room. And so I just want to commend our community. I'm hearing story of s after story during the week of people stepping out and uh, bringing the kingdom on the earth. And it is beautiful to be part of this family. And so if you're visiting us this morning, welcome to a group of radical people. We love Jesus and we love making him known. This morning, I'm going to be preaching from a chapter that I don't think I've ever preached the whole chapter before. Uh, we're going to look at Genesis 1. We're going to start at the beginning. <laughs> Ooh, very controversial or exciting. I'm not sure which. <sighs> Jesus, as Justin said, this is about us doing something with kindling. For that, we need you, Holy Spirit. I ask you, come and fill what is yours. Come and make your word revelation in our hearts that will bear much fruit, just as you did in the beginning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that the seed of your word would bear much fruit in our hearts today. And that we would come alive, men and women, empowered to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of the one who made us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, there are some Sundays where um, I have an increased awareness of my need for Holy Spirit. Well, we need him all the time. Sometimes it's just that we're blissfully unaware. We might feel more confident with what we have to say or do. It's not just about preaching, is it? You and your workplace, some mornings you might wake up and feel such a need for, God, I need you with me. And some days we wake up and we need him just the same. We're just blissfully unaware in that moment. But as I was preparing this week and just aware of this foundational text, I was so aware of the need and... As a team, we didn't coordinate this morning, but I was so aware of the need for Holy Spirit to come rest on us. Funny that we sang that song together. And um, to empower us to live from these verses. 
And so I want to ask you, you know, preaching is very much a community endeavor. Sometimes we sit back and we think, okay, great, let's, let's hear what she's got. Go on then, impress me. I know none of you ever feel that way, but anyway. But actually, the gifts that God gives our community, they're always community endeavors. There's a faith and an openness that's released from your hearts that um, allows gift in me to spark and flow. And so I really want to encourage all of you today, preach with me. Be praying internally, Holy Spirit, come and hover and birth something in me today. Because none of us came to hear just words and to fill our time and leave. If you came to do that, I want to encourage you, church is not fun that way. It really isn't fun that way. But I, I trust that we came this morning to encounter him and to become more like him and to become more fully alive as we see his face. And for that, we're all needed in this preaching moment. But let's read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. He gets to name the things that he creates. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that there were under the expanse from the waters that were above. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. His words are never wishful thinking. His words contain the power to do that which they demand. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. These are important details that sometimes we think is waffle. No, no, they're... There's importance here. Everything that was created had the ability to reproduce and multiply, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. 
And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Uh, Hear the repetition, it's there on purpose, and the livestock, according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground, according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The word that's used there for man is the word humanity. It doesn't just mean the man was in God's own image. It means humanity in the image of God. And God blessed them, and God said to them, to both Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion, Adam and Eve, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth. There is so much detail here. Everything that has the breath, nefesh is the Hebrew word of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Now, I'm hoping that next week I'll be able to continue into chapters two and three, but this first chapter is remarkable and profound. And there's a few um, thoughts that I want to throw out, and then I want to talk about, and you all know how much I love my alliteration, we are going to do four or five P's because we all know that there is power in the word that begins with P, and alliteration multiplies that. We all know that. I'm kidding in case you're worried. Anyway, but just a few thoughts, and then we'll talk through this creation story and what's included here. What's interesting for me, and and I just want to quickly talk about this. I'm a scientist in background. I'm a medical doctor. I worked in the emergency room for four years um, and did two years of general medicine and surgery before that. So I love science, and I have interesting conversations with people 
all the time, who have a profound distaste for God because they believe uh, in science. They say, I am incredibly scientific, and obviously you have to choose one or the other. The funny thing is this room has lots of people who are probably uh, some of the foremost people in their scientific world and yet have a real faith in Jesus because these two things are not at odds. Science and relationship with Jesus are answering two very different questions. Science is trying to find out consistently the what and the how. It's consistently trying to figure out how things happened or what happened. Uh, That's beautiful. That's important. And I believe God has empowered human beings to ask those questions, to run with theories, to do tests, to examine things, because he wants us to figure out those things. Because the more we figure out the what and the how, the more our minds are blown with the beauty and the depth and the detail in creation. Scientists are blown away every time there's a new discovery. The depth of the design is unbelievable. And whether people believe in God or not, scientists are consistently amazed at what they discover. But I believe science and religion, if you like, but relationship with God go hand in hand because what the Bible is trying to answer for us isn't primarily the what and the how, although it talks about that, but much more importantly, the why. God is trying to open for us, not simply uh, testing facts, but understanding purpose understanding design, understanding intention. See, science will never be able to tell you intention behind something that exists. It's not designed to answer that question. There is a lane for science that is powerful and beautiful, but if you cross over and you try to use that lane for purpose, you will find your life falling short because science was never designed to answer purpose. Oh, but then you come to Scripture, and it's laced with purpose. It's laced with the answer, why? Why do you see the depth and the detail? Why do you see the remarkable beauty? Why do you exist? See, that's where you've got to come to these texts. Science will never answer that question for you. And so I love, I love science, and I love walking with Jesus. They go hand in hand. They're a beautiful combination. And I want to encourage you, Christians, science is not a bad thing. Some Christians on the other end of the spectrum, there's the opposite end here that are scientists. No, no, God can't possibly exist because we've already answered the what. Forget the why. And then there's Christians over here sometimes who are like, no, no, science, it's evil. Don't go near that. Don't study biology. No. Why do we do that? You can walk with the Lord and you can ask him questions about his creation. He loves to answer those things. And so in this community, we honor the scientists. We see that as a beautiful part of bringing the kingdom. Make incredible discoveries about creation. It is a gift to humanity. Okay, that's one thought. Another thought, and I want to talk evolution just for a moment. Yes, I am going to go there. I'm not going to go there for too long because I want to get to my peas. That's where the power is. <laughs> a couple of thoughts about evolution. I'm not going to tell you what to think. I don't think that's actually the most helpful. I believe how to think 
is a much more helpful thing to learn in community. Because when we're told what to think as just um, rote learning, memorize this, you'll find yourself in a situation in life where the thing you memorized is no longer applicable and then you suddenly panic. <laughs> oh no, the, the verse that I was told to memorize doesn't apply here, what do I do now? What I think is most beautiful, most powerful in our community is if we can walk with each other to learn how to think, to be a people of faith, to be a people full of radical optimism about what the kingdom means on the earth. I want us to think how, like that, and then we can apply the how in any circumstance, any situation. So I'm not going to tell you um, this is what you must think but I'm going to throw out a few things that I think will be helpful in the how we approach questions like this. Do I believe in evolution? Should we all believe in evolution or should we believe in a seven-day creation? Well, here are some of the thoughts I have about that. First thing is, just to say from a scientific point of view, um, evolution is still very much theoretical and that's important for us to understand. This isn't a proven fact that Christians are hiding their you know, heads in the sand and saying, no, no, we won't believe it. There's still very much theory because evidence is scarce for some of the things within evolutionary theory. But there's two types of evolution that are important for us to understand. There's microevolution, which is within species, where species adapt uh, to become more and more um, surviving in different situations. I don't know if that's the right word, but anyway, we'll go with it. And then there's macroevolution, which is part of evolutionary theory, which is a jump from one species to the other. That tends to be, the macroevolution tends to be the context of where debate comes. Here's a few thoughts that I have. As people of God, if we struggle, Put evolution to the side for a second. If we struggle with a seven-day creation, not because necessarily because of what is being said about evolution, but simply because we think it's unlikely and difficult to do, we need to expand our understanding of who our God is. I, I in many ways, don't mind what you believe around this, but I do mind if the foundational thought that underpins your belief system around this is something like, it couldn't possibly have happened in seven days. That I mind. Because the God I know, the God who is revealed in Scripture would have no problem creating anything in seven days, including the entire universe. So I want us to think around that when we approach evolution. It would be nice to be able to get my words out. When we approach evolution, it's difficult to say those two words together for some reason. Seven-day creation, just put aside scientific thought for a second around it because that's not what I'm talking about. What is your base thought about what God is capable of? That's an important thing for us to examine, okay? It may or may not be seven days. There are some rhythms in this story, and there is poetic language here for sure, so I want to acknowledge that it's important for us to understand the writing uh, style that is being used here. But there's rhythm here. There was morning, there was evening, there was morning, there was evening, there's morning. Obviously, days are being mentioned here, although it could be a period of time that is being mentioned. But there is some rhythm being spoken of uh, which could easily fall into seven days. 
And I want to be someone who believes that God can do anything. Now, you can hold that within the, the day structure could be bigger pieces of time, but I never want to think that simply because I don't believe God is powerful enough to do it in seven days. That's a problem for me, right? Okay, we're on the same page on this. Another thought I have, and this will be my last thought on this conversation, because I want to get to the peas. When God creates the animals and he creates the humans, I, I pointed out a word that's used, it's nefesh. It, it's a word that means soul. It's a word that means a type of living that is different to the plants, Okay, so that's important for us to understand that the Bible actually uh, does designate different kinds of life in plants to humans and animals. It's important for us to get that because sometimes we can become a little bit um, happy, clappy, hippie Christianity. There's God in everything and we, we can absorb things that come from new age uh, belief systems rather than the Bible. The Bible creates a distinction between the life that is in a tree and the life that is in you and me. Okay? It is not the case that the trees are our brothers and the rivers are our sisters or whatever. Right? I, I want to be clear on this because sometimes you hear Christians talking like they've, brought, they've drunk more from the stream of new ageism than they have from the Bible. We've got to read what's here and be clear in our thinking about these things. But the reason I want to make this distinction, and I believe the Bible does, is because there is something about that life that is the fullness of life, that is life that comes from the breath of God that is really important. Uh, there's verses in John 1. It says, it's funny, John and Genesis should be read together. If you're thinking of a Bible plan and you're wondering what to read next, I want to encourage you, read these books side by side because both of them are creation books. Both of them are new reality books. Um, John actually walks right next to Genesis. In the beginning, says John, words that should make you remember Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. That's intentional. John, who's writing this, is trying to tell you this is a creation story right here. In the beginning was the Word. Spoiler alert, his name is Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. It, there's something incredibly powerful in Genesis when it speaks of nefesh life, okay? And we'll see next week in Genesis 2 that there's a further distinction in the nefesh life in human beings because not only is there this beautiful soul that God creates in animals and humans, but God fills the humans with his breath. It's a very different kind of creation moment. But anyway... The reason I think this is important for evolution, at least an important thing to wrestle with in our hearts and minds is, what do we believe death comes from? See, if you're gonna believe in macroevolution as inherent within your creation story, uh, the difficulty that I have with that is that you have to believe that God brought death by design before the fall that he intended for nefesh life to die. That is probably my biggest wrestle with a macroevolution concept because what it states as a concept is that one animal species was created, then it died. 
another was created, then it died. Another died off, died off, died off over millions of years until you get to human beings. I don't know whether the belief system that before the fall, God created death by design is a very biblical idea. We should think about that. Okay, that's enough of evolution conversation. Think about it. Wrestle with it. Speak to Holy Spirit about it. Do I think that um, evolution is a primary um, primary belief system that will impact your salvation? Absolutely not. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Do I think it is important for us to apply our minds to wrestle with things in order to think more uh, like kingdom in everything that we see and read and think of? Yes. So I think it's important to wrestle with. Okay. Creation story. This is a story full of presence. First P. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You know, in so much of this creation story, there is a pattern for us to see, not just for one moment in creation, but to recognize that God is a creator. It's part of his character. So he didn't finish and go, seven days done, I'm never creating again. This is part of his personality. He is consistently creating, not just things that we can touch and see as creation, although I believe he's, he is throwing out new species of things all the time because he's just having fun and he's got the time on his hands. He gets to do that. But he's creating things in our lives. He is consistently at work, the Spirit of God hovering. So when we see things in this story, it's not just to go, oh, that's nice, that millions or hundreds of thousands or whatever time frame you want to put on it ago, that years ago, that happened, full stop, close that door, God doesn't do that anymore. This story is trying to wake us up, bring revelation to us of what God is like in our everyday, as much as this is trying to point us to a moment in history. The Spirit of God was hovering. You know what? I pray that we would be a community that is looking for where Holy Spirit is hovering, what he is brooding over, that we would be a people who notice, who care about that, and who come alongside him and say, what are we doing today, God? Because that's what he's inviting us into. The story culminates with Adam and Eve being ambassadors, being given all that is made so that they can continue what God has started. And the church is really Adam and Eve all over again. We being put in place of being in charge of creation. And so you and I get to have a much more fun part of the story because unlike Adam and Eve, we get to be there at the beginning and we get to say, Holy Spirit, what should we do today? What are we going to make today? What are you hovering over in my life today? See, so many of us are trying to ignore where he's hovering because we don't want to deal with the thing that he's trying to deal with in our hearts. But I want to encourage you, when you feel Holy Spirit tugging at something, when you feel him resting on something in your heart, don't try to ignore him, but lean in and say, What are we making today?
What's happening today? I pray for that in, in so often on Sunday mornings. We know that God is everywhere all of the time. The Bible tells us that. But the Bible also gives us revelation that there are places and spaces where God's presence is made more manifest in a particular moment. And it's good for us to pay attention to that. If God is over somebody in a meeting, I want to notice that. I want to know that. And I want to lean in. God, what are you doing there? Because I want to see the moment where God says, let there be light. That's his invitation to us for your own life, for my own life, but also everywhere we go. Do you know where God is hovering in your workplace? Because do you know he is? Do you know Holy Spirit has an agenda for your workplace? That's why you are there. Where is he hovering? These are prayers for us to start praying if we're not already. Because it makes life so much more fun. God, where are you hovering in my high school? Where are you hovering in my college? Show me, Holy Spirit, what you are resting on. Because I want to come with on that adventure. That's his invitation to us. But that was by way of introduction to the presence conversation. Because I just want to talk a little bit. And we'll have to go into We'll have to go into chapter 2 just for this for a moment. Verse 7 in chapter 2. This is just a zooming in on what chapter 1 tells us. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. <laughs> and the man became a living creature. You and I are created the substance of the presence of God. That, you, that is what we are filled with. When you take your first breath, God is breathing breath into us. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can be um, asking for God to make his presence known when we are unaware that he has filled us with his presence as humanity. This is why... Um, yeah, let's go here. This is why... Honoring life all the way from the womb, all the way through to the womb to the tomb. Isn't that the saying? I mean, these things are cliches. It's horrible. But anyway, you get the point. Why? Because there's the breath of life from the very presence of God in each human being. There's something incredibly precious there that we're invited to steward as human beings. And we've talked about this before, so I won't get there too much. But uh, I want to be someone who champions life in the womb, where it's actually, it's easy to love those in the womb because they haven't done anything that I disapprove of yet. As much as I champion life in every human being, whether they're doing things I approve of or not. Right? We've got to be consistent in our belief that life is precious because God has breathed his presence into each and every human being. But I, the thing I want us to notice here on this topic is that all the way through the creation story, I believe this is important and is by intention in the writing of this, there's this repeated pattern where God creates a space 
and then he fills it. He creates the heavens, he creates the earth, then he creates plants and animals, and he creates birds to fill the heavens that he's made, and he creates fish to fill the seas that he's made. There's this constant pattern of create, if you like, a wineskin, and then fill it with wine. Fill it with a thing that is going to go inside of it, which is so beautiful because the pattern continues with human beings in that God creates the, from the dust of the ground this tent, this wine skin of a body and then he fills it with himself these are beautiful moments of the story where we're recognizing God's intention in creation the culmination was always to impart and deposit his presence in humanity how beautiful how profound and how amazing that you and I get to walk in the truth of that the very presence of God giving us breath. He fills you with his presence. And the, the other pattern that goes hand in hand with this, that I, I labored so many times, I hope you picked it up, everything that's created has its kind. Plants, seed-bearing fruit, with according to their kinds, Fish, according to their kinds. Birds, according to their kinds. Creepy crawlies, according to... I mean, we're getting so detailed here. We're talking about the bugs in the creation story. According to their kinds. Animals, according to their kinds. And then there's this break with that pattern so that God creates actually according to his kind. In the image of God, he created them. If you ever needed to know your value... If you ever question just how valuable you are, everything in creation was created with some kind of intrinsic design according to its kind, you and I were created in the image of God himself. In the God kind, there is something so profound about that. If we absorb that truth, I believe that all manner of self-hate, all manner of um, self-harm, all manner of insecurities would be broken because that one truth that God created you with his face reflecting in yours, that can break all sorts of curses of self-harm. You are so valuable. You are so valuable. You were made in the image of God himself. It's a story laced with his presence. It's a story laced with potency. Every single thing that's made, God puts by design the ability to multiply plants with their seeds it labors the point so many times and sometimes we skim over these things like oh gosh this is long-winded no it's trying to get you to see a pattern that is important that is revealing something about his intention for creation and for you and me there is laced within all of the story a potency to multiply and reproduce what is inside that created being the fruits the trees the plants they are created with the potency to multiply themselves. The animals are created with the potency to multiply themselves. And Adam and Eve are created with the potency to multiply themselves because God's intention is for what's 
in you to be multiplied through you to fill the earth. And that's not just about you physically having sex to make a baby, although that's wonderful and a gift from God in marriage, but it's also about the revelation that is in you. It's also about your encounters with God that are in you. It's also about the atmosphere of heaven that is in you. He has put in you the potency to bring that out of you and reproduce that wherever you go. We need to understand that that's by design. When you go into your workplace, the devil will try to tell you everything that's here is overwhelming you. You can't possibly do anything. This is when Genesis 1 needs to be a sword that you carry that you say, no, by design, he made me someone who can reproduce that which is in me. It's right from the beginning. It is his intention. That is how he made me, which is the joy that I carry, the peace that I carry, the hope that I carry will not be squashed in that place because I, as a person who belonged to Jesus, I'm rising up to recognize the potency that is in me. Your workplace will see what's in you multiplied if you walk in this revelation. If you wake up every morning and you think, what is in me that you want to multiply many times over in that place? But so many of us are listening to the enemy tell us we're insignificant and our work is just a way to make money. And we see it as something that's just inconvenient and we're just kind of filling time until we die and get to go to heaven as if that's a biblical term. It's not because what happens when we invite the life of Jesus into us is that heaven gets into us and we're called to bring the kingdom here on the earth. Not hope that one day when we've died, things will be okay. Recognizing you and I are the people who are following the command that were given to Adam and Eve, fill the earth. That mandate still remains. That's why your workplace matters. Fill it. Fill it with the presence of God that's in you. Fill it with the joy of the Lord that's in you. Fill it with the hope of the kingdom that's in you. Fill it with the peace that passes understanding so that people in your workplace will say, what is up with you? Every time I'm with you, I just feel that bit lighter. That's called Genesis 1 working its way out because there's potency in what you carry by design. And some of us Christians, we're like, I'm not one of those Christians who's good at that. That's a lie of the enemy. You were created by design to have potency to reproduce what's in you. When God commanded Adam and Eve, fill the earth, multiply, children was only one part of that. The intention was always the presence that's in you, the kingdom that you're part of. You're going to cover the whole earth with that reality, not just with many children. It's the both and. And sometimes we read these stories, relegating it simply just to having kids, which is beautiful. Oh, but it's so much more about the culture of heaven. He gave them the Garden of Eden. The rest of the world was theirs to tame. The rest of the world was theirs to cultivate. Wow, pre-fall, what an adventure they were given. We've got to understand that to 
understand just how horrific Genesis 3 is. They were given the whole world and the ability to fill it with the culture that was inside of them. They lost it in Genesis 3. But in the Gospels, we see Jesus regains and reinstates what is the reality in Genesis 1. It's a story full of presence. It's a story full of potency. It's a story full of purpose. And God blessed them. God said to them, this is important because Adam and Eve are both here. And, oh gosh, I'm going into all sorts of theological territory here, but we'll go with it. He says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Be potent. Fill the earth and subdue it. Notice in this story, the word subdue is not used between man and woman. is used between man and woman and creation. Subdue it and have dominion. He's talking to both of them. This is rulership over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, again, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this um, because I think it will take us too far down a road that I don't want to go today. Maybe another day we'll do this. It'll be fun. But... Um, for those of you who are part of the table, you'll know that we might be a little bit unusual because I'm the senior pastor of the table. We believe in men and women serving alongside each other, not one gender over the other. This is why I say I am not a feminist. I want to be really clear on that because feminism doesn't actually have anything to do with Jesus at the center. It has everything to do with women at the center, and that's no kind of gospel to me. So I'm not a feminist, but I believe Jesus and his way, the kingdom of God and the way of Father, Son, and Spirit, even shown here in creation in this moment of birthing humanity is men and women alongside each other to fill the earth with the knowledge of God. And I believe this has got warped and it's got twisted from every angle, not just one. And I believe Genesis 3, 4 brought such brokenness to what was meant to be a union in um, bringing the kingdom to something that became power play from both sides. I want to be clear on that. There is no one human being that is a bad player in this story. Everything got distorted from all sides. But I believe when we see the Genesis 1 blueprint, we see God creating the purpose here, bringing to both Adam and Eve to rule, to lead, to multiply in the same way that it would have been impossible for Adam to multiply all on his own it is impossible for Adam to lead without Eve. It's always been a two-man woman job. It's always been, right from the beginning. And there is so much that can be said on this. I understand that this is a hugely complicated uh, theological debate that is raging all over the world. If you want to talk about it further, I'm very happy to talk about it. If you want to know my in-depth view from Genesis all the way to Revelation, I've written a book on this to help the body called Equal. You're welcome to get it or not. It doesn't matter. I can recommend you other books that are as good so you don't believe that this is just me advertising here. There are some fantastic books out there. But the point that is important for us to understand in this moment is the purpose that God gave he gave to both Adam and Eve. 
And the purpose for both of them was to lead. I don't believe the church is allowed to give a different purpose than what God gave right at the beginning. The mandate remains the same. He is the one who makes. He is the one who gets to name. He is the one who gets to give purpose. The world is not allowed to mess with that. Neither is the church. We've got to follow the mandate. Anyway, enough said on that. Presence, potency, purpose. Just to say, you don't have to necessarily agree with that to be part of the table. Although you do have a woman pastoring you, so we'd need to talk about that. But I don't believe this is a primary issue for salvation. But I actually do believe it is a primary issue for the spreading of the gospel. Because if we hold women back, we reduce the workforce of kingdom carriers by 50%. I have a problem with that. Anyway, enough said. Last P. Presence, potency, purpose, partnership. Community is important. And we're going to look at that in Genesis 2, actually, because I believe the way God creates Adam and then Eve is laced with all of God's design for why community is crucial in everything that happens after that. The whole point, you were never meant to bring the kingdom of God on your own. I talk about this a lot, so I'm not going to kill us with this. We'll finish soon because you'll have heard me say this. But right from the beginning, right in the beginning of design, God made it so that the kingdom would not come through lone rangers, but would come in community partnership. And there are too many people who are not interested in walking alongside community, but are insisting they can bring kingdom. The problem is there is a, a journey to be walked by design together that you cannot walk out on your own. It's really important. And I get hate mail on this from social media, um, but that's okay. Community is by design. If you don't like the idea, I didn't come up with it, Genesis 1. Refer to God in all things that you disagree with. I believe today God is wanting to fill each and every one of us afresh with Holy Spirit power. That he is wanting to breathe fresh life in us. See, the thing is, this is a one-time moment in creation. It happened when you were made. I believe that as he put you together, he breathed into you as he did in me. But you know what? Ephesians 5 tells us to keep being filled with the Spirit. So there's this invitation in Scripture to not just one time have him breathe breath in your nostrils, just not one time even have an Acts 2 experience of baptism in the Spirit where you encounter him afresh, but actually on a daily basis, on a momentary basis, be filled ongoingly with the Spirit of God. And I feel today that God is wanting to bring a fresh breath of his presence for each and every one of us. I believe today he's wanting to seal in our hearts the belief of the potency of the culture of heaven that we carry. To stop thinking small, to stop wishing time away, to stop wishing our workplace away. Oh, I wish I could win $10 million so I'd never have to go into that place again. Who then is going to reproduce the kingdom of God there? It is your remit of influence. Don't do what Adam and Eve did, which is to belittle the gift that they had and then lose it in the process. No. Understand the treasure, the adventure that he's given you. 
to reproduce that which is in you. That is your call. That is your mandate. And that is what he has designed you to do, which means you can do it. The enemy will lie to you and say it's impossible. He is a liar. Don't believe him. What does he know? He's a stinking liar. That's right. Don't listen to him. Every day of your life, he is trying to get you to believe something different than the powerful potency that is in you. Because he knows if he can win in your mind, then he won't have to battle that potency. Don't give him ground. I believe today God is waking you up to see your workplace as your world to fill with the culture of heaven. To understand that you were purposed for this. And that you're here in community, or if you're visiting, I pray that you have Christian community elsewhere. That is the design of God for partnership in your life. So that you would walk with other believers to see the kingdom come. Let's stand together. Aaron, I wonder if you'd come and just play on guitar. Holy Spirit, where are you hovering? What are you hovering on? I pray in this moment that even in our hearts, whatever, whatever words are intended by you to bring life in this moment, God, I pray won't you hover over them and bring life from them. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd hover over our minds that you would bring a radical revolution in our minds right now, that we would think the way you think, that we would have our minds turned around to stop seeing the world as just an inconvenience until we get to you, but recognize the world is the adventure that you have gifted us, that we would recognize that there is potency within us, that you have called us to reproduce, in the name of Jesus, I speak against lies of being small and insignificant. I speak the hope and radical faith of the kingdom to be ignited in each and every person. I call out courage to rise up in hearts everywhere in this room. Courage for the workplace. Courage to reproduce joy in the workplace. Courage to reproduce peace in the workplace. Courage to reproduce genuine kingdom love in the workplace. In the name of Jesus, I come against, I felt like this was something that God was landing on as I spoke, that there are men and women who battle with self-hatred, that you have so lost any sense of value in yourself. That is the lie from the pit of hell because you have so much value. You were created in the very image of God. His fingerprints are all over you. And I want to say this clearly. Whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, you have value because you were made in the image of God. And so we break the lie of the enemy. We break the chains that have bound people to believe that they are worthless and they are nothing. Those are lies. You have so much value. You have so much to live you because he, live for because he designed you with purpose. Let the revelation of purpose sink so deep in hearts, take root in our hearts and bear much fruit 
Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just wait on him for a moment. I want to invite you to lift up your hands. It's not a formula. It's just a way of saying you're open to his presence. We're going to close the meeting soon. If you're thinking about your lunch afterwards, it's coming. But I believe God is real. I believe he's still hovering. I believe his words still have power. You know, sometimes we, we become so familiar with things as Christians that we forget the radical power. We say things to each other like God said to me, or I felt God say. When we say that, I want us to start thinking of Genesis 1 in our minds. What does it look like when God speaks? Because it's not just a random thought that doesn't mean anything. Take it or leave it. It just kind of floats into the atmosphere and goes away. No, no. When God speaks, there is power released. In the same way that God spoke, he released those words and light was made in exactly that same way. When God speaks purpose over you, when God speaks destiny over you, when you get a prophetic word, there is power released to accomplish that thing in your life. And we have the joy of partnering with those words. So I want to encourage you even now. Stir up words that have been spoken over you. Stir up those prophetic promises that you've just kind of thought, eh, I don't know. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Hover again. We invite you. Come and create again. We invite you, land on our hearts again and birth whatever you want. We invite you, use us to fill the world with a culture of the kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you, Katya. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being with us this morning. Have a wonderful day. We'll meet you over in the coffee area. There's still some coffee and tea and maybe one or two muffins for you to grab. And have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week. This is the Sunday Morning Podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.